0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, once again, I want to thank you for joining us on the Inside EMS podcast, the internationally recognized Inside EMS podcast. I know I say that all the time, but it's something to be proud of, right? I mean, not only are we heard here in the United States and Canada, but also around the world, and we are very, very excited about that. Well, the EMS trend report is out. Everyone is encouraged to go there and fill it out. It's the seventh annual EMS Trend Report, and it will provide expert analysis measuring the trends shaping the future of our profession. This year's survey seeks to explore issues directly tied to provider recruitment and retention, including physical and emotional safety factors and management support. You can look for the link in this episode's show notes, or you can visit www.ems1.com dash report. And here's a man that know will be filling out the EMS trend report. Maybe we could do it together. My good friend, Kelly Grayson, KG. How are you, brother? Good, man. I mean, EMS trend report is out. We know the importance yeah. of it. You know, this is, you know, Kelly, this is one of the things that I think is important because people will say, and I know I said it in my EMS career, when is somebody going to do something about and this really gives us the data, this really mm-hmm. gives us the, the proof that these are areas that need to be addressed by EMS uh, leaders, by EMS organizations, by, I mean, really kind of everyone, but it, it's not just the EMS leaders that need to fill out this trend report. We've yeah. got to hear from the providers. This is their opportunity to have their voices heard. And uh, I'm really encouraged by it. I think year seven is going to be great, but uh, what are your thoughts?
1: Uh, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think this is a chance for us to take stewardship of our profession. You, you mentioned it earlier that we we fall prey to the anybody somebody nobody uh, paradigm, where where people we expect other people to to take the reins. Uh, and to make changes and, and failing to notice that the change usually comes from within. And we, we uh, we're the ones to steer that change. And we can't do that without input from field providers. Uh, it's, it's sad state of affairs when, when uh, the majority of field providers don't weigh in on, on what they're, they're concerned with in our profession. Uh, and, and uh the direction of the profession is is driven by uh, a select few. Uh, we hope that with the with the participation in the trend survey, we can we can change that a little bit. And I, I'm certainly going to be weighing in with my two cents for sure.
0: Speaking about weighing in with your two cents, it seems that Kelly Grayson is once again gracing the airwaves or the reader waves of EMS One. And I was kind of titillated by one of your latest articles that you put out on February 2nd, 2022, whatever we do without a skill sheet, I got to tell you, man, there are some educators that are truly losing their minds about this story. And I'm very, very happy that you went ahead and addressed it, being one of the premier educators in the United States. And and uh. You know, the National Registry is going to be discontinuing the ALS psychomotor exam. And that's a good thing if you let it be. And I was really kind of wondering where you were going to take this article until I read it. knowing one kind of your position, but maybe just a catalyst and an overview, Kelly, of why you decided to write this article and why you decided to write it now.
1: Well, you know, uh, it, it was spurred by NREMT's uh, announcement that they were going to sunset the psychomotor exam in, in 2023. And uh, I, I heartily applaud that. I think that's something that, that we, we have somewhat of an archaic system in, in credentialing and in certifying our personnel uh, that no other allied healthcare uh, profession uses. Um, no one else test your psychomotor skills as part of your certification and licensing procedure. Um, And yet EMS continues to do so. I don't think we need that. I think we can move to the same model that everyone else uses where there there are skills and psychomotor skills to be tested. a, A skills portfolio is developed and maintained throughout their initial education. And that's the job of the program to do that. And I think it's a good thing that the National Registry is, is sunsetting the psychomotor exam. And, and along with that, they also said that they're going to remove the BLS psychomotor skill sheets from their website. And that is what has got everyone in an uproar. Uh, the feedback I've been getting from the article is, is, is overwhelmingly positive. A lot of people have, are, are applauding the fact that, that we're moving away from psychomotor testing at the national registry level for ALS. Uh, but you see a lot of people go like, what are we going to do without these skill sheets? And, and the problem is, is that's what we've been abusing the skill sheets for so darn long as a national registry examiner and as an educator for 25 years, uh, you see a major problem in psychomotor testing when candidates come through and they know the skill sheet. They have memorized the skill sheet, but they don't know how to do the skill. They just know how to be a parrot and repeat certain phrases in a certain order uh, in a certain way to pass the exam, and they they have no deeper understanding of, of what it is they're actually doing, why they should do it, why they should not do it, and so on. And I think uh, it's time we grew up a little bit and got rid of the the skill sheet.
0: I think that this is what the challenge has been in EMS, right? You and I have talked and debated, yeah. and we've had some of the you know the great educators on this show, and we've talked about the challenges with EMS education, right? Um, and mm-hmm. we, you know this also goes to EMS certification when it came to the National Register. We're here and we're saying that you know the the students are parrots when they come to regurgitate what's on the and I was one of those students, right? I was yeah. one of those students that studied the skill sheets and had to uh, and had to recite it back. Did, did I know what was going on? Yeah, I did. But we were told that we needed to stick to the skill sheets and follow the skill sheets. This was one of the challenges that we had with certification in EMS. You know, so we're, you know, we're kind of uh, in your response. You know, you're kind of saying, you know, the students are doing this. That's what we wanted them to do. That's what NRE yeah. NRENT wanted them to do. But this is what was wrong with the challenge. And I think that we are now starting to evolve in our processes of certification and has it has to now change EMS education. And you and I have talked about this. And one of the things that we really have to be able to look at is how EMS can start teaching people to be critical thinkers and to do the job that needs to be done. For one, mm-hmm. if we think about paramedic education, they have to be able to go into their class as a basic, right? They've got that mm-hmm. basic certification. And now they're going to train to be a paramedic. But that, that's, that training is way too long. And what we do is, is we give people a lot of stress that they think that they have to know everything there is to know about EMS when they come out. I think that there should be a standardization of a six-month program or a seven-month program that gives them the essentials of management and treatment of certain conditions or understanding the pathophysiology of, of how the body works. And then the EMS agencies that hire them need to do the rest and get them trained that they're able to pass the paramedic exam. It should be on the onus of the agencies that are going to be hiring them. And this includes skill development. But, you know, I, I think that this is a necessary first step that we get away from these skill sheets and then we kind of figure out now what do we do? But we need to be yeah. able to do it as a career field, Kelly, and not as an individual agency.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you about the skill sheets. I disagree with you that the that the courses is, is too long and needs to be shortened and streamlined. Um, I, I I hold a one hundred and eighty degree opposite opinion uh, from you on that. I, I think that oh, tell me why. The, tell me why. First of all, the 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 big uh, the big variable, uh, the uncontrolled variable in EMS education is the experience factor. And you've heard me say time and time and time again that experience is vastly overrated because not all experience is good. And what we as a profession have done is we have crowdsourced the initial education. To, of our providers to the agencies that they work for, we have we have put that on them, and and abdicated our responsibility for educating our providers and left it to on the job training. And man, not all on the job training is is adequate. You have programs that have excellent onboarding processes and excellent preceptorship and, and FTO programs that do a great job of it, uh, but I think it's more common that you have mediocre FTO training programs and, and mediocre onboarding programs. And there are quite a few really bad ones out there that just throw you to the wolves. Uh, I don't think it's right that we allow the, the capstone or the, the final polish of our, our students to happen in the field. I think it should be done in a controlled classroom setting with a, a strong clinical component. And we shouldn't leave this to uh, people to, to finish up our training To be conducted by people whose sole qualification was they managed to turn in billable tickets and and hang around without getting fired uh, longer than anybody else. Uh, There's way too much variability in who becomes a preceptor, a field training officer. Often it's it's based on seniority and and being a good employee rather than being a good teacher uh, and a good mentor. And and we have a problem with that in our profession. I don't think that's the way to go. Uh, It if, if it were otherwise, I might agree with you, but as it stands now, the way uh, field training goes in EMS, that's the weak link in your program. You, you have to wonder what kind of crap your students are going to get from their FTOs when you turn them loose in the field. You, you try to have them bomb-proof so that when they see uh, somebody who should be an object lesson and not a mentor, a cautionary tale and not a mentor, that they won't take the wrong lessons from those people.
0: And unfortunately we have
1: to do that as instructors and, and, uh, it's a shame, but that's, that's what makes the, the, uh, experience factor. So, uh, nebulous and, and overrated.
0: You know, I think that there's a lot of, I think that there's a lot of value in what you said, but when we talk about this of revamping the system, who is now going, and, and I want to set this up. So i I'm, I'm, I'm going to lead you down this path. Is now going okay. to be responsible for signing off the skills of the EMT basic and the EMT paramedic when they're in their initial training. If, if the National Registry isn't going to do it, how is that going to get done?
1: Well, at the ALS level, you're already required to have a skills portfolio that's part of the accreditation process. Uh, uh, um, you can't teach a paramedic program unless you are part of, uh, you are a COAMPS accredited or alternatively a state accredited program. And the bar for accreditation of those ALS initial education programs, the paramedic programs, um, are that they have to be affiliated with or housed within a community college or university. Um, and, and they have to pass a, a clear a higher bar for accreditation. So, I mean, that's, uh, that's
0: ex- yeah, that's exactly okay. where we want it to go, right? So basically yeah. we're putting the onus on the program because Co-amps, uh, you know, the accreditation agency has ensured yeah. that the college, the program has met these qualifications that we're going to trust that they're teaching the skills and we're going to take your word that you're going to be able to, to sign off their skills. Now, yeah. when we start to think about this from the, from the you know, as I talked about this six month, seven month program, and then allowing the agencies to do the rest, of course, your, you know, soapbox all about FTOs, I I don't know that that's the answer, right? I think it has to be driven by the state. And the state now has to be able to say that these agencies are able to get the paramedics ready, and they've got to be able to meet this qualification, you know, it, it back in the old days, and I think it's going on now in the state of Texas, they had the uh, CCMP, the Clinical Comprehensive Management Program. It was also known as Option Five, and what it was was such an incredible opportunity that the state of Texas was saying, "Look, we are going to certify the agency, and if the medical director signs off on this person's certification, they don't have to submit any. They don't have to submit any." Uh, continuing education or any refresher program to us, the signature is good enough. And that's just an incredible place to be. I know that there were some challenges. I know that there were some politics. I think the program is live now in Texas. And this is what has to happen, right? So when we talk about this from the standpoint of that, we need to revamp the training process and put some onus on on, on the agencies that are training them. Then it really comes down to them meeting the certification or the accreditation from the state to say, we're able to do this. We're able to finish this education based on policy, based on procedure, based on practice. And when you give the nod agency, when you give the nod about your employees that they're ready to test and take this paramedic exam, then they're able to take this paramedic exam. Now, I do think that this is a challenge, Kelly. I I will give this caveat in this day and we're going to talk about a story i think you know a little bit later on in this day of ems shortage we need as many paramedics as we can but we need more emts than we need paramedics right now
1: yes yes we do and and that's the other prong of this of this discussion is is uh, national registry is taking down the bls psychomotor skill sheets and people are going oh my god you know so so what are we going to use now well, you know, they have this thing called a computer, and these things are in PDF format, and you know you can you can do this thing called download. Uh, I, I don't understand what the outcry was uh, over over uh, uh, them taking the resource material off their website. and And a lot of people mistakenly uh, say, well, you know, so what are you saying? National registry is not going to support the uh, not going to run BLS uh, psychomotor exams anymore. And I said, uh, yeah, but they haven't been for 15 or 20 years. That's what most people don't understand is that as far as national registry is concerned, your BLS psychomotor exam, your EMT level exam, the state owns that. You just use some national registry rubrics that they're providing for you, some testing materials that they're providing for you out of the goodness of their heart, but you are free to develop your own. Uh, and and that's what they don't understand is that psychomotor exam is is a product of this or is managed and, and administered by the states. It's conducted by the states using the national registry's materials, and you have so many people that that will you know castigate the the national registry for 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 uh, these. Um, Artificial testing standards, and and uh, it's just a money making grab to 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 get your money, and they fail you because they can test you multiple times, and that's that's absolute garbage. Uh, what they fail to realize is is if if your uh, if your psychomotor exam in your state requires you to jump through hoops and say things like "my baby looks hot tonight" when you put on your your KED. God forbid you're still putting on a KED uh, or you have to recite certain phrases in a certain order in a certain way, or you will fail. That's because your state does it that way. <laughs> your people make you jump through all those artificial hoops. And for the most part, they're well-meaning regulators and EMS educators, but, but um, they have developed, a, they have spurred a cottage industry of how to, how to, uh, parrot the skill sheet. And that's the problem with, with the psychomotor exams these days is, is people are not learning the skills they're learning to, to memorize a skill sheet as if that's the, the way it's supposed to be done. And, uh, I think that if you, uh, take that little crutch away from them and make them develop their own rubrics and and use them appropriately, then, then that's, uh, uh that's a step forward. I
0: think this is going to be interesting to watch and interesting to see the, yeah. the, the progression of what is going to look like in the future but as as you say in your article i applaud the national registry for taking these steps as an ems educator at my foundation i am excited to watch how this uh you know this transition happens and you know i think there's going to be speed bumps i think that there's going to be challenges i think that there's going to be uh you know mistakes and errors happen along the way but this is how we do our business right and we just have to be able to grow from that experience comes from mistakes and mistakes come from lack of experience that's my rule number seven in my book of <laughs> 10 rules for great leadership, by the way. But you know, th- there's other things that are going on, and we kind of touched on it briefly, yep. where we talked about the EMS shortage. And everybody knows that there's an EMS shortage. You and I have taken this uh, topic up a couple of times. We've had some great EMS leaders that have come on our show to talk about the specifics of uh, what's going on in EMS, how we need to change the paradigm of- mm-hmm you know not only response time compliance but also who we have running calls and we again again ems has put ourselves in the position that we have made it um unsustainable right we say two paramedics in the truck we say eight minutes and 59 seconds we say that this is the standard that we need to and now as we go along in our career field Everybody is saying, "Eh, you know what, maybe we weren't right. Maybe there was a challenge and maybe we shouldn't be doing it this way. Well, we're going to have to change how we're doing our business in EMS. And there are more agencies that are putting up BLS trucks, having paramedics and chase vehicles where we had it in the mid and late 90s um where we had BLS trucks responding sometimes we had two trucks going to a scene sometimes we had chase vehicles going whatever it was right and we have to be able now to figure out what that looks like but one of the challenges now in this in in, in the environment we're in is there's an EMS provider shortage both EMTs and paramedics well there was an article that came out of Kentucky where a Kentucky city, Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky, their community paramedic program has lowered ambulance calls by six point seven percent. And when we think about this from a shortage standpoint, there are a lot of EMS agencies who are saying, "Well, I can't get into this community paramedic pro- this community paramedic transition right now because I have an EMS shortage. I have a provider shortage." Well, you know what? When you still work with those high utilizers and when you now try to you know, keep them from using the EMS system and taking them to the ER, you are going to reduce ambulance calls. And the article starts off that one man called 911 more than 30 times in one month. How many systems have that patient in them? And if we're now able to be proactive and keep those from utilizing EMS and utilizing the ER for their primary care, we are going to reduce call volume, which means we don't need as many resources on the street. Kelly, what are your thoughts?
1: I, I think that, that Lexington's uh, solution to this is is the way EMS is going to go in the future. And it's, it's sad that they're still having to fight for funding for it uh but hopefully with with uh the advent of et3 and if it proves to be a a viable model which all indicators uh seem to be yes uh that this is the way EMS is going to go um you, you know we we you said earlier statement that we kind of painted ourselves into a corner by setting artificial and arbitrary standards that we now cannot meet and you know, uh, you can attribute it to to um, uh, championing EMS and and uh, advocating your, for for your profession and trying to to uh, get people to to buy into what you're you know pick up what you're putting down, but uh, we kind of oversold it. I think I, I think that we we have been trying to to be all things to all people and and the the safety net of the healthcare system uh, when it's proven that we we really cannot be. Uh, at least with our current system model where where we um Transport is what we're paid for. We're a transportation function and not a, a healthcare and, and screening function and, and efficient gatekeepers to the system. And the Lexington Fire Department, you know, in 2018 started something different with their community paramedicine program, like many services have adopted around the country uh, to try to cut down on those EMS super users and be more efficient gatekeepers to the healthcare system as a whole. And, you know, grant funding has has come up for that, and uh, they've been funded by a patchwork of of grants and hospital donations and everything, And, and the city is cutting back their funding, uh, endangering the program. And, and I think that's tremendously short-sighted. What I think the city should be looking at is, Hey, um, with the limited support that we've given you thus far, you've managed to reduce, uh, call volume by 6.7, 6.8% in three years, uh, let's double down. Let's give you even more funding and let's see, let's start looking at our response time standards and our staffing standards and what needs a paramedic and what doesn't need a paramedic. And maybe we can, we can spur the development of a premier EMS system of the future. Uh, but it's hard to make uh, elected officials think that way and and take those kind of uh, those kind of chances. But I don't think oh, it's I mean, that big elite, dude. I, I don't. I think we've got, We've got plenty of of demonstration uh, or we've got plenty of of demonstrable evidence that uh, that this is a thing that can work. And, you know, we've had this
0: we've had this demonstrative evidence for for years and years. Yes, we have. And, you know, so when you talk about that, we've got to be able to convince the politicians before we're able to convince the politicians, we've got to be able to convince the EMS leadership. Right. Yeah. I mean, because there are EMS leaders that are still defending eight minutes and 59 seconds. And remember, when we first started this process off, we had no idea how to set up EMS systems. And, you know, the system status management model came from a great mind uh, and a gentleman called Jack Stout, who really was the. Uh, you know, the architect of the uh, system status management model, right? We didn't run EMS systems. We didn't know what the best way was for us to have a deployment model. And there was a science that was put together. And these numbers really just came up arbitrary. I I don't want to say arbitrary. I don't know how Mr. Stout did it. But we came up with eight minutes and 59 seconds for a priority one call. We came up with 11 minutes and 59 seconds for a priority two call, 15 minutes for a priority three call. And so on and so forth, and it worked for a while. I mean, I was an assistant status when I worked at MedStar, and I got to tell you, when you work that science, you are all over those calls. Sometimes you are right, you know, down the block from where these calls are dropping, which is really amazing. But we sold EMS based on the science, and now as the times are changing, the system didn't change. And we now have to be able to think about how are we training the new education, the new generation of EMS provider? Well, how are we running the new generation of EMS system? And that's where we have to be able to get to. But I can stand on this for the rest of the day. And I think we need to get up on out of here because I'm, I'm getting a little lightheaded from being so passionate. <laughs>
1: That's a common problem with you, man. Um, <laughs> well, you've heard what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. What do you think of the commu- future of community paramedicine and its, its uh, viability in changing the EMS paradigm and the way we deliver care? We'd like to hear your thoughts at the show at ems1.com. Tell us what you think of National Registry sunsetting the ALS exam and removing the BLS skill sheets from its website. Forget to rate us on iTunes and don't forget to chime in with your views on the EMS Trend Report link in the show notes. For myself and co-host Chris Sebalero, I'm Kelly Grayson and thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.